So if if you're new, we we get to a point new to with with Rock City Church, and this is your first time, or you haven't been following the series so far. We get to this exciting part in chapter seven. So the plagues is famous, but it's unfortunate because it's one of the most terrible passages in the Bible, and. If you're familiar with it, there there are ten plagues where many many animals die, many people die during the plagues. Now it is something that over the centuries, even today, that many people have used this against God of the Bible. They look at the plagues, they say, "Well, I I cannot believe in 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 such a God who who judges and punishes people." I don't want to worship such a God. I don't want to serve such a God who does such things to people. Well, let me just quickly say this. There's two explanations about about these sentiments about God who judges and punishes the God of the Bible. The first one is, I want to ask this by way of asking, by explaining, by way of asking this question: Where do people get the idea that God doesn't judge and punish? People say, if there's God, well. He cannot be the one who who does these things, judges and punish people. So, well, where do where do people get these ideas? Well, see, the very idea of God who doesn't punish, uh, a loving kind of God who just forgive and love, you don't find there anywhere in the world in any other religions, but in the Bible. So, for people to say, I don't like this idea of God who judges. I like the idea of God who Love that they get the idea from the Bible, because there's no other religions that teaches that God has to be a loving God. Only by only the Bible speaks of God, the God of Christianity that speaks of God as the one who loves and cares for the people. So that's the first explanation. The second explanation is this: now, it, with the idea of God who does not judge and punish, think about this. Um, imagine a judge who handed down a rapist uh, and a murderer a death sentence today. Let's say a judge in a court of law handed down death penalty uh, to to a rapist or a murderer. Not many of us, perhaps some of us, but not many of us would would raise an eyebrow and say, "Well, I I I cannot believe in such a judge." Who handed down a death penalty or, or such a strict penalty to a murderer, to a, a rapist? We wouldn't do that. Why? Well, because that's what a judge do, right? Uh, uh, they have a good reason to do that, to hand it down, to hand down a strict or a severe punishment, judgment towards a rapist and a murderer. The judge wouldn't be a good judge otherwise. If he say to the murderer or rapist, like, "Well, you know, I'm in a good mood today. I'm gonna let you go. You off you go, get out of my court." That that's not a good judge. Uh, see, for us to be able to say, "I cannot believe in such a God who punishes, who judges," when we look at the Bible passages like this, the plagues, we have to ask this question: the reasons behind the plagues. Just as a judge, we want to look at the reason behind such severe punishment or sentence. 
towards a person, to a, towards a convict. So do you know the reasons for the plagues? That's what we're going to look at. So before we can dismiss or before we dismiss the God of the Bible, you must first examine his actions and the reason behind it all. That's what we're going to do. So, so we have come to this part in the book of Exodus where, where God will execute his plan. So God has been preparing his people, has preparing Pharaoh, the Hebrews, and Moses and Aaron for this time, the action, right? So this is now God's time to do his plan, to carry out his plan, so to speak. So we saw last week how God sent Moses and Aaron to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh rejected, right? Rejected the, the request to let the people go. Pharaoh said, no way, I'm not going to let you go. And then even give more harsh um, work, harsher work condition to the Hebrews, to God's people. So, so now God is about to res- rescue the Hebrews from slavery. So we saw how God was showing the people of God, not just the people of God actually, to, uh, to Pharaoh as well, that it is when, when this thing happened, when, when what we're about to read happens, and eventually when, when God's people are rescued from slavery out of Egypt, when that happened, God wants them to know that it is God's hand alone who did that. So that, that was God's plan. He said, like, it's not you, Moses. It's not because you are such a great leader. Or it's not because Pharaoh was such a kind king. Or not because the Hebrews, who are such an obedient people, who will just follow Moses, whatever Moses say. No, God show them all that previously. That when that happened, you will see it happened because of me alone. So what, what do the plagues teach us? And, I mean, why the plagues, Right? So that's what we're going to look at, the reasons for the plague. Why the plagues? Well, quickly, really, the, the reason, before we get deeper into this, the very reason why God sent the plagues is because of what Pharaoh said in chapter 5, verse 2. So we've seen this in chapter 5, verse 2. Pharaoh says, who is the Lord? This is when Moses said, please let God's people go. Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord. That was the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, challenge to God. It's like, no way. Who is the Lord? I wouldn't do that. And that is the main reason God sent the plagues. To show Pharaoh, to show Moses, and to show his people who is the Lord. So two things that we're going to look at this morning to help us out. The first one is judgment through the plagues. So that's the first thing. The second thing is salvation through judgment. First one, judgment through plagues. Right? And second things we're going to look at is salvation through judgment. Let me read for us to complete the picture of, of the beginning of the story of this plague. So I'm going to read just the first plague. Last night I practiced reading this, the whole plagues, so that I want to see whether I can read this in church during preaching time. It takes me, well, it took me 20 minutes, so I thought I'm not going to do that this morning. 
So I'm just going to read the rest of chapter 7 for you. But ideally, you would, you would need to read the whole plague story to understand the scope of it. So I'm going to just read chapter 7, part of chapter 7, and hope that you'll follow along and perhaps you would want to read on your own as well rather than spending 20 minutes listening to me reading the scripture, especially when the projector doesn't work. It's going to make it even harder. So let me start from verse 14, chapter 7. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. He refused to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning as he's going out to the water. Stand on the bank of the Nile to meet him and take in your hand the staff that turned into a serpent. And you shall say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, sent me to you, saying, Let my people go that they may serve me in the wilderness. But so far you have not obeyed. Thus says the Lord, By this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water that is in the Nile, and it shall turn into blood. The fish in the Nile shall die, and the Nile will stink, and the Egyptians will grow weary of drinking water from the Nile. And the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, Take your staff and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over their rivers, their canals, their ponds, and their pools of water, so that they may become blood. And there shall be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, even in vessels of wood and in vessels of stone. Moses and Aaron did as the Lord commanded. In the sight of Pharaoh and the sight of his servant, he lifted up the stuff and struck the water in the Nile, and all the water in the Nile turned into blood. And the fish in the Nile died, and the Nile stank, and so that the Egyptians could not drink water from the Nile. There was blood throughout all the land of Egypt, but the magicians of Egypt did the same by their secret arts. So Pharaoh's heart remained hardened, and he would not listen to them, as the Lord had said. Pharaoh turned and went into his house, and he did not take even this to heart. And all the Egyptians dug along the Nile for water to drink, for they could not drink the water of the Nile. So that's the first plague. Water turned into blood. Now, the Nile River is basically the life of the Egyptians, the source of life. That's where they get their water. That's, if, there's, if Nile is dead, there's, there's no Egypt, so to speak. It's so important to them, and God strike that first. Now, judgment through plagues. First of all, I want to clarify this. In the Bible, the word plagues is not there. You might say, well, hang on, it's, it's there. No, it's, it's on the heading or on the sidebar in your Bible. Uh, that is, that is, uh, that's not God's word. The word plague is not God's word, but they're merely title and heading that editor, human editor, add to help us, okay? So, hence, we try to, anyway, whenever we read the scripture out loud in, in church like this, we, we, we skip reading the headings because we just want to read God's word. And those headings are to help us, but they are not God's word. So, 
when, but it's famously known as the plagues of Egypt. So I'm going to continue to refer to, to them as plagues, but they are not God's word, okay? They are more like blows or strikes from God. That's, that's what's in the Bible, right? God is striking the Egyptian in a variety of ways. So it's not plagues, so to speak. But for the sake of familiarity for everyone, I'm going to use that word, so bear with me. So why, why did God send the plagues? Why did God send the plagues to the Egyptians? Well, on one sense, on the one hand, it is God's judgment towards the pride, against the pride of the Egyptians. Remember how Pharaoh proudly said, who is God? He's not really wanting to know. There's two kind of, see, there's two kind of um, curiosity. There are people who say, who is God? In a way, with a humble posture that they really do not know God and they want to know God. You may have friends like that who, who say, well, I don't, I don't believe Jesus. I don't believe God of the Bible. I don't know Him. But coming with a posture of humility is like, really, I, I don't know. I, I want to know. I, you tell me. Uh, you help me. But that's not the posture here with Pharaoh. Pharaoh is like, who is the Lord? I do not know the Lord with with pride and arrogance. He doesn't want to know the Lord. So God sent judgment against the pride of Pharaoh and the Egyptians. Now, we modern people, um, you and me are modern people, we are postmodern people. We, we don't like this when it refers to God, but, you know, because God sent judgment, we, we don't like that. We are modern people like a oh, loving, forgiveness, that kind of stuff, tolerance, right? We, we don't like this kind. But in reality, Though, if you think harder, we love justice, don't we? As we have seen, we don't like a judge who let go criminals. We get mad at judges who are corrupt and let criminals go because the criminals have money, right? We love justice. You see, the Egyptians have sinned against God by oppressing God's people, by oppressing the people, by the preying on the weak. So when God sent Moses to Pharaoh and said, let my people go, that they may serve and worship me, Pharaoh arrogant say, who is the Lord? That they may go and worship you. Who are you? They should worship me, right? So that's Pharaoh's posture. So Pharaoh said, these people should worship me. You know the word serve? They should work for me. We've seen this in earlier sermons. The word there, the word work for me, serve, worship is the same word. So when they say, when Pharaoh said to the people, you should work, why are you slacking around? Basically, Pharaoh said, you should serve, you should worship me. See, the plagues are God's answer, in a way, to Pharaoh's challenge, who is the Lord. In a way, God is simply revealing himself to Pharaoh and the Egyptians. Who is he? So, the first thing we want to see is that God who is he? He's the God who judges. Say, I'm, ju- I'm a God who judge. Through, throughout the plagues, God revealed himself as the one who judges. And who judges fairly. Who is not corrupt. The one who judges the oppressors. Uh, those who prey on the weak. In this case, the Hebrews. God who judges on the proud. In this case, Pharaoh who says, who is the Lord? 
the same God we serve today is the same God who judges the oppressors and the proud even today. Another thing we learn about God, who is the Lord, is this, through these plagues, is He's an exclusive God. Not only He's the God who judges, He's an exclusive God. Let me, let me explain this. As modern people, we, we generally do not mind people being religious. Your atheist friend don't mind for you to be religious, for you to be Christian. They don't, generally, they do not mind. Uh, they call it tolerance. Uh, but modern people have problem not only with God who judges, but they have problem with an exclusive God. They would say to you, you can do whatever you want with your God, but don't you sell your God to me. Don't you tell me that your God is the only God to worship. There's the only one true God. They don't like the idea of an exclusive God. But think about this. If there's a true God, there's a real God that created the universe, wouldn't be He's the one true God? Wouldn't be He's the one who say, I'm, I'm not sharing my credit with any other gods. That's the God of the Bible who say, I will not share my glory. I'm an exclusive God. But modern people have problem with that, you see. And Pharaoh has a problem with an exclusive God. And God is showing him this, revealing this to him. Because by the fourth plague, this is where we should have read, but we didn't, so we're just going to jump around. By the fourth plague, Exodus 8, verse 28, Pharaoh said, so this is fourth plague already, right? So he's started to get, you know, man, come on, not again, right? Pharaoh said, I will let you go to sacrifice to the Lord, your God, in the wilderness. This is Pharaoh by the fourth plague. But he didn't stop there. He said, only you, might, you can go and worship your God, only you must not go very far. That's what Pharaoh said. Yes, you can do that, but not, don't, don't go too far because I want you to come back and worship me. Pharaoh don't like the idea of an exclusive God where the Hebrews just worship God and God alone. He said, don't go very far. You can, don't go very far. Just like us modern people. So you, you can do, you can go to church, that's fine. Just don't go too far. Just don't do too much. Don't be too radical. See, that's, that's, that's what, see, that's, Pharaoh has no problem by fourth plague for the Hebrews to go out and worship God. He has no problem with that. But he has problem when they just worship God alone. He has problem with the exclusivity of the Lord of the Bible. Now, some of you don't mind perhaps being Christian for as long as it doesn't affect your lifestyle too much. You don't go too far into the wilderness. Some of us say, yeah, I, I, I can be a Christian, but as long as I limit my commitment to this God of the Bible. See, you draw the line some of you, you have different line, right? Some of you, the line is once a week on Sunday, two hours, that's all I'm going to commit for being a Christian. Anything beyond that is, well, let's see how it goes, right? So that's the line that some of you have drawn. Um, perhaps you say, that's my line. I commit to Sunday, 10 o'clock, perhaps if there's no social events, I will... You know, I'll turn up. Being a Christian, in a, in a way, for, for you, how you draw a line or how you say 
it does, so that it doesn't affect your lifestyle is you say, well, maybe if I become a Christian, I gain more friends. It's, it's, a, it's like a social club, isn't it? I know more people. I can hang out with more people. That's a good thing. Well, perhaps because you are extrovert person that you like that. So you say, well, I, I don't mind being a Christian for as long as I don't have to go too far. And you say, if you can draw that line, whatever line that is, you say, well, if that is Christianity, then I can tolerate that. But let me tell you, God is showing Pharaoh here that he is, he is not that kind of God. He's an exclusive God. That's, that's why when, when Pharaoh says this by the fourth plague, there's a fifth plague, the sixth, the seventh, the eighth, the ninth, and the tenth. Because God will not have anything to do with that kind of attitude. Sometimes we bring to God with that kind of attitude. I will serve you, God, but I have limit. This is, this is what you bring to the table. This is what I will bring to the table. We, have, we bargain with God. You bless me, you bless my family, I'll come to church every Sunday. If I don't have birthday party to go to, if I don't have a, you know, big events to go to, I'll turn up. But nothing more than that. See, that is what Pharaoh expected from God of the Hebrews, from the Lord, from the God of the Bible. He wanted the Israelites to serve him, God, and to, ser to serve Pharaoh and to serve God at the same time. And Pharaoh would happily share his glory with God. But God says, no, let my people go that they may serve me alone. Now, by the ninth plague, by the ninth plague, um, Pharaoh called Moses, in, this is Exodus 10, 24. By the ninth plague, Pharaoh called Moses and said, go, so this is the ninth one already, right? So if, if by the fourth one, he said, okay, go, go, just not too far. Imagine there's a fifth, sixth, seventh, and eighth. Now this is, by the ninth one, he says to Moses and said, go and serve your Lord. Your little ones also may go with you. Only let your flocks and your herds remain behind. So you can bring everyone, but your livestock, your wealth, leave them behind. Because Pharaoh knows if their livestock, their money and wealth left behind, they will come back. See, some of you have no problem giving your time to God. You turn up any church event, no problem. But when it comes to dealing with your wealth, with your pocket, with your wallet, he said, that's where you draw the line. And this is what Pharaoh is saying. Pharaoh understands God's, you know, God's people's heart. You can go, but leave your wallet behind. I know you'll come back. Some of us following Christ like that. Say, God, my time, I'll come church early, I'll... I'll help set up. I'll do all that. But don't ask me for my wealth. That's your line. Perhaps some of you are the opposite. Some of you have no problem being generous with your wealth. But then you have problem with your time, with your personal space, with your home. You say like, i rather contribute to a church event rather than having the church event at my place. Because you say, man, the mass afterwards, 
I just don't like that, you know, people stepping on my carpet. And, you know, I, I just like it clean. You know, I'd rather pay for it. So some of you are like that. Let me tell you, um, you, you have drawn the line with God. You basically say there's, there's limit to my commitment to this God. And what that limit from each of you is different. So I want to challenge you this morning when you listen to this is what is your limit? What is that line that you draw with God? God said there should be no lines. But we all draw that line with God. What is that line that you draw? See, the plagues are God's answer and reason to why Pharaoh cannot share the throne with God. Pharaoh's happy by this point. To, he's very happy to share the throne, his throne with God. And what are, what are the pharaohs in your life this morning that you are sharing with the throne of God in your life? See, some of you are your social circles. So that's why if your social circle, your important social circle, have a particular event that you've been looking forward to and it clashes with Sunday church morning, you'll pick which? You'll pick your social circle event. Because that your social circle event is, has been elevated to the throne equal to God in your life. You share that throne with God of the Bible, with Jesus. Perhaps they're your hobbies. Some of us are so attached to our hobbies, we prefer to be doing that, and it's been elevated such a high position that it's almost or even equal to God. Some of you are your career. You cannot say no in your career because you say, I have to do this. I need to do this. But God, God can wait. God can wait. He understands, but my boss wouldn't understand. God is forgiving. My boss is not forgiving. When you say that, you have elevated your career above God. You have shared God's throne with your career. So listen to what God said to Pharaoh. In Exodus 9, verse 16 to 17. But for this purpose, I've raised you up. He's speaking to Pharaoh. God speaking to Pharaoh. For this purpose, I've raised you up. It's God who raised Pharaoh up, God says, to show you my power so that my name be proclaimed in all the earth. You are still exalting yourself against my people and will not... Let them go. See what God is saying here? Pharaoh, it is, I raise you up to show you my power. But hang on, you are now exalting yourself against my own people? See, Pharaoh, like any other leaders in this world, including yourself, whatever you have in your life, God used that, God did that for a reason. And that reason, in this case, God stated here, so that, when you read the Bible and it's that word so and so that, or for, that's, that's reason, that's purpose. Right? So look out for those. Here it says, I raise you up, Pharaoh, so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. Not your name, Pharaoh. We don't even know who this Pharaoh is. But my name, God says, may be proclaimed in all the earth. So that's the reason, right? Instead of Pharaoh, instead what happened? Pharaoh exalted himself. 
God says to you this morning, I gave you a good family so that my name will be proclaimed in all the earth through you and your family. Yet what we do, we exalted our family above God. God said, I give you such a good career in life, such a good wealth and income in life, such a good influence in life, so that my name, God says, will be proclaimed in all the earth through you. Yet what we do, we elevated our career, our wealth above God, who gave us those things. And that's what God is saying to Pharaoh here. I raised you up, Pharaoh. I gave you the power that you have now. Now you try to exalt yourself against my people? When, when we read this, we don't, we don't connect with our life, but we do that, don't we? We do that with our own life, with our career, with our intellect, with our wealth, with, with our family, with our parents, with our children, whatever it is. We have elevated it, not knowing that God gave those to us so that His name be proclaimed throughout all the earth for His glory, not your glory. So are you exalting something else or someone else in your life today apart from God unknowingly? I hope God is start, the Holy Spirit starts stirring your heart right now because sometimes it gets buried so deep in our heart, so dark in our heart, we don't realize that. That our children, our parents, our career, or whatever it is has become an idol, become a little God in our life that take over or equal to God. So be very careful. I'm not saying those things are bad I'm, because God used those things. God gave those things. They're good things from God, but we can abuse it. We can elevate it to such a high position that we worship it. Our children, we can worship our children. They're God's blessing, but we can take them to a throne that is as high as God. Don't you know all of that God given you so that His name will be proclaimed through you. Second thing, salvation through judgment. So another reason for judgment, plagues through judgment now, judgment, salvation through judgment. So another reason for judgment is what? The salvation of God's people. Not only to punish the pride, the proud, the oppressor, the Egyptians, Pharaoh, but God used this to save God's people. Send the plagues to save God's people through all the ten plagues. Now, scholars have observed this. I, I don't have time to go through each of them in detail, but you can look, up, look this up. Scholars have observed that the plagues, all the ten plagues, are the reverse cycle, the, the opposite of creation, the creation account in Genesis. Whatever was created in Genesis, now it's being reversed. This is the bad version of the good creation in Genesis, the ten plagues. So the plagues are the reserve. It's, it's the, in a sense, the chaotic versions of the good order that God created in the book of Genesis. That's what you see in the plagues. And scholars have done this parallel, and it's amazing. You can look it up. You can research it. Now, for some of us, you may not be able to picture this, but you love Netflix, so I can probably help you understand this if you love Netflix and you watch Stranger Things. Because in Stranger Things, there's this town called Hawkins that there's an upside-down version of Hawkins. So this is like the upside-down version of Hawkins. 
It's, the, it's like Hawkins, it's like city, you know, the town Hawkins, but it's different. It's the worst version. It's the chaotic version. It's the bad version of it. So God is saying this through the plagues. The world is created to serve and worship God. But now, when that doesn't happen, chaos will unfold. So all these plagues are to show when the creation does not worship the creator as intended, chaos will come. And God is showing this is the chaos that will come through the plagues. So they are poor, poor for example, they are, just look at our world around us. There are poor people who are starving to death today. Because, why? Well, because people serve their own needs. Because there are a certain group of people who serve their own needs rather than serving God. When they have wealth, they look out for number one themselves rather than being generous. See, if all of us in the world share what we have, there's no poor people around us. There's no needy people around us. And we have a glimpse of that in the early churches, in the days of early churches when Paul says, like the church of Philippians, they are poor church, but because they share with one another, they say there's no need among us. That they are not in need, even though they are very poor. Why? Because they live the way God wants them to live, to be generous with one another. So in a way, God is showing through the plagues, when you don't follow what I say, when you don't live according to how I created the world, this chaos will happen. Poverty, death, it's the result of this chaos. So the world today, we live in a sick world um, because the good order that God has created is being reversed through our disobedience to God's word. Not just disobedient, uh, because some of us wouldn't, wouldn't call ourselves disobedient. But let me say this, the world is sick today because the good order God created in Genesis is being reversed through our selective obedience. We probably, you know, I'm a good Christian, I wouldn't be totally be disobedient to God, but we are selectively obedient to God. And selective obedience is disobedience. See, you can be a Christian and but not serve God exclusively. You see? You can be a Christian and, and not serve God exclusively. Because when you pick and choose what to obey and to disobey, you want your God to coexist with God of the Bible in your life. Or when you get, when this has happened as well, when you take God's word, not as God's word, but as good advice. When you see God's word as good advice, you will say, well, that's good. I'll do that. <laughs> that's, that's, I don't know, that's outdated, isn't it? That's very old-fashioned. Maybe my great-grandfather's would, time would do that, but not me. That's selective obedience. Imagine going to a doctor with a, let's say you have a chronic illness, someone have a chronic illness, go to a doctor, go to a GP, then 
the doctor, the good doctor, prescribe you with uh, some medicines to take every day for your chronic illness. He said, you must, you must take these, all of them, not just some of them, all of them every day, not just some days. You come home, he said, mm, that's a bit expensive, that tablet is too big, uh, I'm just going to pick the small one. And then another day you say, I don't feel like eating it, I'm, I ate too much, I, I, can't, I can't take more medicine. You know what happens when you do that? When you selectively choose what to take and when to take them, you get sick, you might die. See, that is what happened here and in our lives too. We, we get spiritually sick without knowingly, unknowingly because we have selectively obey the Lord. It's not obvious because we obey God, right? We come to church, you're a Christian, you're a good Christian, you, perhaps you read the Bible, but you live and obey selectively. In every single plague, another thing I want to mention here is in every single plague, you can look it up when you read, pay attention, you can highlight this when you read. In every single plague, it is said that Pharaoh hardened his heart. In every single plague. And only later that God says, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. We must notice this. Because some people say, well, Pharaoh didn't stand, stand a chance. It was God who made Pharaoh's heart harden. Right? But if you read carefully, initially, God said to Moses, Pharaoh will harden his heart. This is a foreknowledge of God revealing to Moses. This is what Pharaoh will do. But then when it comes to plagues, it was Pharaoh who hardened his heart. And only later that God said, because Pharaoh continued to harden his heart, I will harden his heart. The message for us is this. When we harden our heart, when we say this selective obedience to God is okay, the more we do it, the harder our heart will get. When we first did it, we feel a little bit guilty. Right? But you do it second time, you do it the third time. By the hundredth time you did it, you don't feel nothing anymore. Your heart is hardened. Who hardened your heart? You hardened your heart. We harden our heart by our selective obedience. And then God just let it run. God say, I will harden your heart, for you have hardened your heart. The more you do it, the harder your heart will get. When you sinned, this is a lesson for us. When you sinned, for whatever reason, just do not excuse yourself. Rather, turn to God and repent. So as every time you find yourself sinning against God with your selective obedience to God, turn to Him and repent. He's a loving God who's waiting for you to come back to Him. God did harden Pharaoh's heart, but it was Pharaoh who hardened his heart first. Plenty of time. Now, God sent His judgment through plagues. That's salvation through judgment because God sent His salvation through these plagues, you see. The plagues will save the Hebrews, the Israelites, from slavery. So throughout the passage, 
in this plague's passage, not only you, you read God, um, Pharaoh hardened his heart, but you will also my, will, re, will read this. God did not only say, let my people go. You'll, you read that, you'll see that, but God did not only say, let my people go. That's not his only request. But his request is this, let my people go that they may serve me. That word serve is work for me, worship me, live his life, her life for me. So there's a purpose for God's rescue. Sometimes we think the purpose of God calling you from your sinful life to be a Christian to a God-worshipping person is so that you have a, a good life. But God says, not just let my people go, but let my people go so that they may worship me. There's a purpose that you are here. If you're a Christian today, if God has called you today, there's a purpose for that. The Israelites were rescued for a purpose, that is to serve God exclusively, not selectively, not sometimes, not most of the times, not 99.9% of the time, but 100% of the time. They are to go out, well, they are not to go out to the desert and serve God and come back to their old master. That's not the purpose. God doesn't want that. God wants them to go out to serve Him in the desert and stay and worship God there and not come back and not returning to Pharaoh. But notice this as well. It is not just the Egyptians that God is sending this message to, but to all the earth. We have, we have seen how Pharaoh challenged God and God responded, right? See, God did not only say to Pharaoh this, pay attention to this, that I did this so that all throughout the land of Egypt may know my name. God did not say that. God did not say, I did all this so that throughout all the land of Egypt that my name will be proclaimed, will be known. No, God didn't say that. Instead, God said, I did this so that all the earth will proclaim and will know my name. That all the earth, including you and I today, including your friends, including your children, including your parents, including your colleagues. Centuries later, the Apostle Paul wrote about this particular account in Romans 9, 14 to 18. I'm going to read it for us. Romans 9, 14 to 18. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardened whomever he wills. This is the Apostle Paul commenting on this particular account in Exodus. God show mercy to the Hebrews, God says, and Paul says, not because they were good people, but because God was merciful towards them. And we have seen how God's people complained to Moses 
rejected Moses, haven't we? And we'll see later down the track, after God rescued them, they will complain to God. They will grumble against God. They will reject God. The very God who has saved them. These people, they will do to God. Yet God show mercy to them. That's why the Apostle Paul says, it's not because of them. It's because of God who show mercy. So just as God had mercy on the Hebrews, it is God in, in His sovereign's grace, not the Hebrews' goodness, it is the same with you and me today. It's not our own goodness, our own abilities, or even our perfect obedience. Not even that that will force God to have mercy and to save us. So if that is true, then it means this. We can come to God as we are. We don't have to clean our act first. We don't have to say, I have to stop everything first before coming to God. God says, no. The moment you realize that you're sinning against me, that you don't live your life, not, you don't live your life up to the standard, at that moment, come to me, God says. Come to me. Because it is not your own ability, it's not your perfect obedience that give you mercy, that grant you mercy. Now, the ninth plague was darkness in Egypt. Total darkness for three days. Exodus 10, 21. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, a darkness to be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven, and there was pitch darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. They did not see one another, nor, they, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. But all the people of Israel had light where they lived. God make a distinction between the Egyptians and the Hebrews. There were total darkness. Now this total darkness, just before the final and crucial plague, is very important for us, for you and I today. Because without this particular event that I'm about to read for you, we will too, in our disobedience, in our selective obedience, we will too experience these plagues and darkness in our life. But we don't, you see. You and I don't experience this darkness in our life. Because in Luke 23, 44 says this, to talk about Jesus when Jesus was crucified. It was now about the sixth hour, and the sixth hour here is midday. And there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, while the sun's light fell and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. For three hours, Jesus was crucified, there's total darkness, exactly the same as it was in Egypt. Total darkness. This is what happened here. Instead of you and I experience darkness like the Egyptians because of their disobedience, because of their pride, Jesus took that darkness upon himself for you and for me, to save you and save me. To save you, God must, God's own son make, must experience darkness, the plague. This is why 
Christianity is unique to any other religions in the world. Because any other religion will tell you, if you want to be safe, you must try and save yourselves. And perhaps God will help you, will save you. You must do your best to help yourself. That's other religions. But only in Christianity, God, who is not only the judge, but He sent His own Son to receive the judgment. There are plenty of gods out there who wants to judge, who is happy to judge, but only the God of the Bible, who is not only the God who judged, but sent His own Son to be judged on your behalf so that you and I do not need to be judged. So on the cross, Jesus was judged for what should have been yours and mine. It should have been you and me, you see. In Christ Jesus, not only we find a good judge, but a perfect and loving Savior. So brothers and sisters, Jesus not only went through darkness for you, but He broke darkness for you. For three days later after He was dead, He rose again. So that's our hope. That's our hope. When the Israelites were tempted to fight for themselves, that's what they tried. They want to fight for themselves, fight for their own rights to save themselves. God showed them that it wasn't them, but it was God alone who would rescue them. Today, we may feel the same when you experience injustice in your life. Whatever injustice it is that you're experiencing right now in your life, when you experience pain and suffering in your life, when you feel like you want to fight back, against injustice and this unfair pain and suffering. Why me? God is saying, you don't have to fight because I fought for you. Would you trust me, Jesus say, that I'm good enough, that I'm a sovereign and powerful God, but not only that, I'm a loving God. I will care for you. I will treat you tenderly. I know you're painful, right? you're in pain right now. You're suffering right now. But God say, I can care for you. Would you trust me this morning? Would you hope in me? That's Jesus' invitation to all of us this morning. Let us pray.